The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. Well, good morning and welcome to uh, another edition of uh, Tower View at Home. Uh, for many of you who are online, it's good to have you. If you are visiting to our stream, to our website, wherever you're watching this, thank you so much. My name is Darren Smith, Senior Pastor at Tower View Baptist Church. Our website is towerviewkc.com. Uh, if you're a regular or you're a church member, welcome again. And I'm going to say this every time. We're, we're so grateful that you're joining us especially if you're not a Christian, thank you. We had many conversations with you guys over this last week, so thank you. Uh, if you, we can serve you in any way, please uh, drop a uh, comment below or send us a message or uh, you can text us at 816-368-1330. That's a Google line that gets a text, so feel free to do that. One last little caveat before we get started, I just wanna remind our church folks, uh, pr- please continue to pray for our leadership as we discuss a soft launch opening to a very small number. Uh, given the new requirements from Kansas City within our physical space. Uh, More details on that coming on Monday or Tuesday with a little survey and a plan we'd like your feedback on. Uh, But more importantly, today uh, we want to study God's Word, and we're in the book of James again looking at street-level faith, street-level faith. And today is the question, uh, how can God not be good? That is the question we're going to answer today. Just three short verses from James 1, 16 through 18. James 1, 16 through 18. I'll be reading out of the English Standard Version. Grab your Bible if you have it and join along. Hear God's word. It says, Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good and perfect gift, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, or your, your translation may say heavenly lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, of God's own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be kind, a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Three verses today that as we look at this continuation of some questions James presents to them today, how can God not be good? Let's pray together and we'll start our study today. Father, thank you so much for this time. Father, we once again come to you in a, in a time unprecedented for our, our generations in these days, not unprecedented for centuries of folks gone by through, through wars and plagues and pestilence and all the things that are. But Father, as we continue to study, as we continue to look at this book of James ever so slowly, Father, we pray that your grace and your wisdom would be given to us by your Spirit. Father, especially I'm praying for those within the sound of my voice on a computer, on a screen somewhere, Lord, who do not know Jesus Christ, that, Father, the gospel would be abundantly clear. For those of us who have been saved, as verse 18 says, of your will, by the word of truth, to be first fruits of your glory and our good, Father, help us to glorify your name. Father, may the gospel never get old. May it be our cherished uh, treasure we have when all the other earthly treasures, as we've, we looked at in past weeks, seem to ebb away. Father, during these times. Father, we don't know what tomorrow holds, but we know that you hold us securely through tomorrow because of who you are. Father, give us wisdom now. Thank you for your son, Jesus, who died, who buried, who physically, literally, bodily rose again, that we may have eternal life. We pray in his name, and we thank you for his intercession on our behalf. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Well, the word rolls off our tongue so easily, I think, sometimes, and that is the word good. You know, we say things like, wow, you know, that cereal was really good, or we had a good time at the park. I know that's been a few weeks, but we, you've had a good time, you know, even walking outside. Or let me tell you, a lot of our, our church or our coffee connoisseurs, let me tell you where to get a good cup of joe, a good cup of coffee. Or, or, you know, we hear someone say, you know, that guy is a really good guy. Or Sam or Joe is a really good husband. You know, it's become such a familiar word, that word good, in our vocab that our mind doesn't take the time at times to consider what it actually means. I mean, when you read that God is good, what's meant to happen inside our soul doesn't always happen. Psalm 85 verse 12 reminds us that Uh, It says, yes, Lord, yes, the Lord will give what is good. Yes, the Lord will give what is good. And so when you read the words, God is good, your heart, my heart, our hearts should be filled with many things. It should be filled with wonder, with amazement, with gratitude and humility, just to, you know, kind of list a few of those. But I'm convinced in myself, and I think you would notice this too in your experience, that we live day to day with no wonder and no wonderment whatsoever of that word good. We exist for weeks, especially in this time, pandemic time, maybe even months without being amazed. We walk through life without ever having an overwhelming sense of gratitude. We handle our situations, our locations, and our relationships with with an air of entitlement before us. And this is the opposite we're created to live. And I want to remind us of that today as we get into James. We were meant to live with eyes gazing upward and onward, upward towards God and onward towards the advancement of his kingdom. And we're designed to live with hearts that are searching and hungry, especially being satisfied in God, as the the Beatitudes remind us. So every word we speak, every action we take, every decision we make, and every desire that we have was meant to be influenced by that word good, especially by how good God is is. So let me ask you, what do you hold on to when life causes you to question the goodness of God? I mean, let me encourage you this morning with that verse 17 we just read. Every good and perfect gift is from above. Every good and perfect gift comes from above. But where do you hold on to your goodness when things go south? I want to remind us today in the big idea, our our thesis, if you're watching kind of summary of the sermon, that yes, God is good all the time and in every way in what he gives and what he takes away. He's good in every time, in every way, and in what he gives and what he takes away. But has that happened to you, where you are are shopping for the buzz of wonder where it simply won't be found? That, you know, there's a new restaurant where you blow your taste buds away, but it won't introduce you to some soul-satisfying, wonderful God the way it's meant to be. Or that new car that'll transport you in luxury for a while, but has no capacity whatsoever to transport you and your soul to a place of peace. Or or that new job title that might impress your friends and your LinkedIn contacts and your family at first, but it can't supply you with the glory that you're seeking. We are reminded in the book of Psalms that underlying all those things that we seek in this world is a misunderstanding of what is truly good. Because only God is good. We're looking for a pure, unadulterated, unending, unfailing good And that is a good that only God can provide. And let me remind us, church, that that is a good that we want and need. And if we don't have that desire, that we should seek after it. So in James 1, 16 through 18, we're going to see three truths about God's goodness. We're going to see, and 
I know our church, we laugh at this every time. I haven't done this in a while. We're going to alliterate this. We're going to put all S's on this just because it was easy, straight from the text. But the goodness of God is going to be secured in verse 16. We're going to see the goodness of God stressed in verse 17. And finally, the goodness of God is going to be shown in verse 18 and how he called us into his goodness. But first, the goodness of God is secured. The goodness of God is secured. I want to remind you that the recipients of this letter were undergoing various trials. They were undergoing trials and, and, and they needed wisdom to understand how to get through them. And so in James 1, 13 through 18, James addressed, especially in last week, that God is a holy God and that he never sends temptation to anyone's way. But today, James is arguing that God is a God who only sends good and perfect gifts. And so in no uncertain terms, we are reminded that he is good. And so in verse 16, the goodness of God is secured. Verse 16 reminds us of the stern warning, as you see there in the text. It says, don't be deceived, my beloved brothers. And this verse is a bridge between verses 13 and 15 and what we'll see later in verses 17 and 18. But both ideas are closely connected. There's, there's an insidious connection between misunderstanding God's ways in verses 13 and 15 and reliving the goodness of God in verses 16 through 18. So James starts off here saying that God's goodness is secured. But notice that first word of counsel there. He says, do not be deceived. In other words, don't err, don't be misled. The original is, it means don't to stray or wander away from the truth or safety or virtue. You know, it's like a kid who you say, stay with me. Don't go away from my presence. And they bolt away. That's what that means. And so it's a picture of one who's on a journey, who's led astray, so they don't meet their final destination. It's a picture of a sheep that wanders off from the shepherd and the flock and becomes lost. It's, it's a ship that's on course, but gets away from the course and becomes lost at sea. And so James says in the first point that God's goodness is secured, but he reminds them here at the word of counsel. Jesus uses it here, or excuse me, James uses it here to admonish his readers who hold to wrong views about who God is. His concern is more than a simple failure of judgment. His concern is that they fall away from the truth, especially that God is good. So he says, don't be deceived. Literally stop being deceived. You know, isn't this what uh, God recorded for us in Genesis 3.13? When God confronted Eve after her and Adam's sin, listen to the word. It says, then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you've done? And Eve said to, to God, the serpent deceived me and I ate it. If we're honest, that this, this deception, this not being deceived is an ongoing work that Satan has of us. He seeks to deceive us. John 8, 31 and 32, Jesus reminds us that if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So he gives them a word of counsel. Don't be deceived. God's goodness is secured, but don't be deceived. And then he gives them a word of care. Notice how he, he kind of lays this out. He didn't just throw it at him. He gives them a little, uh, a, a little a term of endearment. He says, my beloved brothers. So James comes with that sharp sword, but he warns with love. And this is exactly what Galatians 6, 9 tells us to do, that we who are spiritual should go about restoring those who've been deceived, who've walked off the path, but we do so in love. And so as a means of address, he says, brothers. It's a gender, gender neutral term. So it literally could mean brothers and sisters, basically all Christians. And so they, they were Christians, they were saved, they were redeemed, they were born again. 
They were brothers and sisters in Christ, yet they too were susceptible to being deceived, to forgetting that God's goodness is secured. And so are we, church. The danger of uh, 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 sinners is unbelief, but the danger of Christians is misbelief. So be aware that you're not deceived about God because your view of God is everything. And so what we need to see is that this is, he tells them it's secure. Look, don't be deceived. Going back to verse 15, don't be deceived. God's not going to tempt you. God's not going to take this away from you. You need to remember God is still good. But you have to remember that life, enemy, and your sin are going to try and take that thought away from you. And so he's concerned about the truth, but he's also concerned about the people who are affected by the, the error that comes from misunderstanding the truth. So James reminds us that our concern for what is right does not give us a free reign, a free license to treat people wrong. You can win an argument and lose a soul. So we must speak the truth in love. And in chapter 5, he reminds us of this too. Chapter 5, verses 19 and 20, he says, My brothers, if any of you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. So guys, God is good and it is secure. Don't be deceived. If you're a Christian, God could not love you more in a pandemic than he loved you the moment he called you out before eternity passed. And we'll get there at the last point. God cannot lavish any more favor on you than he has in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Don't be deceived. His goodness towards you is always what is best for you in his plan which as we will see in the next point, is both perfect and good. So first off, God's goodness, God's goodness is secured and it's shown here. Secondly, God's goodness is stressed. Notice verse 17, let's read that together again. James says, every good and every perfect gift comes down from above, from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Verse 17 shows us and highlights the attributes of God that we can be confident in at all times. He gives us three. He's going to show us that God is good. He's going to show us that God is sovereign. And he's going to show us that God does not change. Those are the subpoints. So God's goodness here is stressed in verse 17. But the subpoint, first off, he shows in verse 17a that God is good. God is good. Every good and every perfect gift is from above. I mean, where do good and perfect things come from? I and mean, think about that. They don't come from below or within or around. They don't come from above. They don't come from, the, uh, from anyone or anything else. They come from the one, God, who is above. God is the source of all that is good. It's very basic, yes, but we need to be reminded of that. And so the word here, every, is emphatic. I want you to notice that. Everything that is good, everything that is perfect is from God. And everything that is not good and everything that is not perfect is not from God. And James is going to contrast that with wisdom in James chapter 3, that wisdom that comes from above is good and perfect, but those that come from the world are, are of the devil of sin and flesh. And that's kind of James's uh, back and forth that he's going to do. But he reminds us here that, that God's goodness is stressed, the main point, but God is good. God is good. And, and so he wants us to see that. And the term basically means that, that, that not only is he good in who he is, but he's good in what he gives. And, and this is stressed in his giving. Every good gift, every good gift, indeed every good gift is from God. And that again is an obvious point, but it's not to be overlooked. 
there is a, a gift of giving that is not good. 2 Corinthians 9, 7 says that you can give begrudgingly or you can give because you have to or someone pressures you to. And you know what happens all the time in Christmas, doesn't it? You may give someone a gift as an expression of love or you may give someone a gift because you got that thing at work that you signed your name up for and yeah, you just have to give one anyway to the Christmas office party. Who knows if we'll have those this year, but there you go, it's an example. Matthew 7, 11 reminds us that if then you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, Jesus says, how much more will your father who's in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So it stresses that God is good in his giving, but also that God is good in his character. This is the second time that James uses that word perfect. Verse four says, and let your steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. So the word perfect refers to spiritual maturity, not sinless perfection. It's a picture of someone in verse 4 who has developed themselves and who is spiritual adolescence and spiritual adulthood. And that's what trials of life are supposed to do. But it also refers to here in verse 17 that God himself is perfectly able in his character to give you everything you need consistent with his plan for you and for his purpose and resourcing of that plan. And so James refutes the error that God tempts people to sin. In other words, he gives gifts that are given to build us up, to never knock us down. This does not mean that every gift of God is desirable, comfortable, or pleasurable. Romans 8, 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work out for the good, but for those who are called according to his purpose. You know, it's like a king who placed a heavy stone on the road and hit it to see who would remove it. You know, people simply worked their way around it. Some got mad at the king saying, King, why would you put this rock in the middle of the road? And finally, a poor peasant on his way to town to sell some of his vegetables came around to that stone and he pushed into that stone as hard as he could and he rolled it away. And then as he rolled it away, he saw a purse laying right underneath the stone and he opened it up and he found it full of gold pieces with a note from the king saying it was for the one who could remove the stone. Look, God's gifts are not always what we want them to be. But God is good in how he gives, and God is consistent in his character with what he gives. And as we seek him, we're like that peasant, who when we go with the burden it seems that God puts on us, we will find something greater than anything this world could offer as we serve him. So God's goodness is stressed in his, is stressed in his goodness, but it's also stressed, second sub-point here, is God is sovereign. Notice verse 17. Every good and perfect gift is from above, but notice there, it goes on to say, coming down from the Father of lights. Coming down from the Father of lights. What in the world does that mean? Does that mean God's like some uh, UFO circling around with lights coming down? No, of course not. But what he's saying here is that God is never ending in his flow of goodness to his children. Every good and perfect gift is from God who pours it out in a constant stream. Lamentations 3 the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. So when we are tempted to say, God, why are you not helping me now? We don't judge by what we see around us. We, our outlook is not determined by anything except by looking up to him because he's the father of lights. 
Psalm 121, very famous verses tell us that I lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. And so it comes down from the Father of lights. This is a Jewish phrase that James is throwing out that speaks of God without directly mentioning his name. It's a reverent ascription that says so much about God. That word lights, Father of lights, here refers to the heavenly lights. You know, the sun, the moon, the stars, the planets, all the heavenly bodies. Uh, you know, Pastor Nelson, we always give him a hard time because he, he loves space travel and those things. You know, even if we reach the end of space travel, God is still in control of everything of that. And to say that God is father of these lights is to say he created them. Of course, in the beginning, Genesis 1.1, God created the heavens and the earth. Psalm 19.1, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky proclaims his handiwork. So God's goodness is stressed here, not only in that he is good, but that he is also sovereign. Do you see that? He's not just some God who whimsically throws things around. What scripture affirms here is that God is the one who creates a thing that is greater and controls the thing that he creates. He's the father of lights. And what he means is that he reigns over the heavenly bodies. He reigns with sovereign authority. Remind yourself that in Joshua 10, Joshua and the fighting men of Israel went to battle against the king of the Amorites. And God was with them and they routed their enemies. And as the enemies fled in defeat, Joshua commanded the sun to stand still. And Christian, you don't have to balk at that. You can claim that as a miracle of God. Excuse me. And God caused the sun to stand still until the nation took vengeance on their enemies. I can't tell you how the sun stood still for Joshua, but I can tell you who brought about that supernatural phenomenon. It was what James 1.17 says, the sovereign God, the father of lights. And so what you need to know is that God is good. And because God is good, he is sovereign. And he brings you exactly what you need, as you need it, as he's planned it, as he brings forth his goodness. But finally, look at how God's goodness is stressed. Not only that he's good, that he's sovereign, but the third little subpoint here in verse 17, point two, is that God is unchanging. God is unchanging. He's the father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. You know, it's like that story about a retired music teacher and a young man who lived in a, in a boarding house back in the 20s. And they had a daily ritual, the young man and the retired teacher. The young man would ask the music teacher, he would say, what's the good news for today? And the old music teacher would take his, his tuning fork and strike the side of his wheelchair and say, that's middle C. That's what middle C sounds like. It was middle C yesterday. It'll be middle C a thousand years from now. It does not change. But that soprano upstairs trying to sing who's off key and the piano across the hall that people try to play that's out of tune, that's changing all the time. But this fork that I have, young man, does not change. And so what we see is that verse 17 tells us that God's goodness is stressed and that he never changes. There, the word variation is used only here. It's a word of constant change of the heavenly bodies. You know, the sun rises, the moon goes up, the stars change, you know, things blow up and galaxies form, etc., etc. But those are things taking place over time. There are variations of different things that take place in the heavens under God's sovereign control. But not so with God. 
There's no variation in God. God is immutable and he never changes. Malachi 3, 6, I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, O children of Jacob, you are not consumed. Hebrews 13, 8, Jesus Christ is what? The same yesterday, today, and forever. And those are promises we hold on to, especially in these times. But notice that God has no rival. It says that there is no shadow due to change. God never changes. He's good all the time. But the phrase shadow due to change further asserts that nothing that, that nothing that does not change can block or hinder or usurp or obscure or eclipse the goodness of God. In other words, life may be hard, guys, and it is. You're experiencing that. We've had those conversations even this week with many of you. But God is still good, isn't he? The difficulties of life don't cancel out the goodness of God. Whatever circumstances life bring do not change God. God doesn't answer to some council or council of gods like Mormonism teaches. God is sovereign. God is good. God never changes. There's nothing that rivals him that says, you know what? I got you this time, God. Therefore, you must change. God says, I don't change. Therefore, everything else, you submit to me. That's what he says. I mean, if you stand in the sun long enough, the shadows around you will move. From your perspective, it seems like the sun has moved, but in reality, the planet is moving. The sun stays right where it is, doesn't it? You moved, the sun didn't. And it's the same way with God. That old hymn, great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father, there is no shadow of turning with thee. Thy changes not, thy compassions they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever wilt be. Guys, as our world changes, as, as the requirements for what it means to be a church seemingly change, as, as the good news and bad news comes in about this pandemic, and you can you know, argue about those and fight about those, but you know what? Your opinion may change from one week to the next. But God's opinion never changes. His word is secure. Verse 16, his goodness is secure. His goodness is stressed in that he is good, he is sovereign, and that he never changes. And if you're not a Christian, can I just encourage you with this? Your whole life is a life of change. Our lives change with you. We don't not age as Christians. We don't not have hard times. We put our pants on one leg at a time, as they say. But non-Christian, I want to tell you something. As you go through this time, what is your peace? What are you holding on to? I mean, seriously, what do you got? in your back pocket that you're going to say, you know what, no matter what life brings, this isn't going to change. Good luck with that. Christian, I want to remind you that God never changes. And non-Christian, I want to remind you as well that the only thing that never changes is this reality. You are a sinner. You deserve the worst. The judgment of God is on you. The wrath of God abides on you. But God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal and everlasting life. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That is the promise of scripture. That is the promise of our God. And if you're a non-Christian listening to this, you're like, man, Christianity is just a crutch for these guys. No, no, it's not. We don't need a crutch. We need to be carried from our birth through eternity because we are that helpless outside of this God. But he says he's with us in his goodness. And that is both stressed, that is both secure. And finally, and thirdly, it's shown. Look at verse 18. Verse 18. He tells us 
that of God's will, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. You know, it's like a certain couple who bought their old, bought their young son a new bike for his birthday. If you're a parent, you know how this goes. Everything the boy wanted in that bike, they got it. They, they souped it up and they couldn't wait to see his reaction. And you know how this, the rest of this is going to go. So they give it to him on his birthday. He opens the bike, opens the box, and the bike is there. And his dad gets on and wheels it out a little bit. And he gets to that point. And to their dismay, the boy looks at the bike, smiles, and goes right for the box and starts playing with the box. Took him a while to convince him that the bike, not the box, was the real gift. And so too, James does not want his readers to be so preoccupied with the outer wrappings that they miss sight of God's true gifts. So he specifies the ultimate gifts that God gives us in his goodness. He's going to show us that. God's goodness here in the third point is shown. The phrase he brought us forth is the doctrine of of regeneration. It's the sovereign and gracious act of God by which he gives us new life and, and grants to us this. John 3, 6 and 8, John telling, Jesus telling Nicodemus, that which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Don't marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, Jesus said, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit of God. And so in verse 18, the verb brought forth is an emphasis that speaks of something that's happened once and for all. That is, you are not born again and again and again and again. You don't walk an aisle, pray a prayer, raise your hand, and say some magical sinner's prayer again and again. If you are saved, Christian, you are saved one time, once for all. And also, this emphasizes three quick facts about our conversion and God's goodness in it. Notice firstly, in this first subpoint of uh, uh, point three, that conversion is only by God's will. Of his own will. Means that God saves us by a deliberate and influence act, influence act of his sovereign grace. In other words, what he's saying is that our salvation is completely on God's shoulders. You didn't think it up. You didn't connive it up. You didn't plan it up. We didn't get a think tank of super smart experts together and say, man, what do we need to do to get to heaven? It is of his will. It is God's will. And if you believe that God is sovereign in goodness and, and controls all things, and we hear that a lot, you know, God's in control in this pandemic, then Christian, you have to take that step, don't you? To believe that God is sovereign in salvation. Well, Darren, don't we have a choice in the matter? Of course you do. But it starts first with God's sovereignty pushing you towards that choice. The Calvinistic hairs are coming up on the many uh, hairs of the back of your head for many of you. But I want to remind you what Jesus said in John 15, 16. Jesus said at the Last Supper, quote, you did not choose me, but I chose you. John reminds us in 1 John that we love because he first, who? He, God, first loved us. We are dead in our sins, and a sinner does not choose God any more than a dead man at a funeral can choose to walk. 
God chooses us. And God did not choose us merely because he was bored, he needed company or something of that, or he looked down the corridor of faith and saw that we might respond in a certain way. God knew beforehand that we would would choose him only because he brought us forth by his will. John 1.11 says, He came to his own, God through Christ came to his own, his own did not receive him, but there is good news. John 1.12 and 13, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God, who were born not of the flesh, a will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. Look, Christian, you had to respond to God, but you did nothing. Remind yourself, in the goodness of God shown here, you did nothing to bring forth your salvation. It was all of God and his will. What a reason to praise God. But he goes on. How were you saved? Of his will. But he tells you the means by which God brings it forth. Look at verse 18. He says, by the word of truth. Ephesians 1.13 says, In Christ you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed by the promise of the Holy Spirit. It's as simple as we know it to be. God saves sinners who hear and believe the word of truth. Romans 10, 13, for everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Verse 17, Romans 10, for faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God or the word of truth. God brings forth us to new life by the word of truth. This affirms, doesn't it, the primacy of preaching this. Look, we're so many things as a pastor we're doing during these times. I don't say that to say, look at us, but you know, we're making calls, we're trying to connect, we're trying to reopen, we're trying to, you know, we're, our, our whole routine has changed as yours has. But the one thing that never changes, the reason we're doing this is that you would hear the primacy of God's word and that the testimony of your life is that the word of God is building you up. Church, we can plan, we can prepare, we can have big events, and, and those are all good in their own right and time. But a local church is only a true church to the degree it is exposed to and permits its life together to be shaped by the word of God. Likewise, in your family, sir or ma'am, grandma, grandpa, young person, old person, the degree to which you can claim to be Christian is the degree to which you allow God's word to shape your life. Yeah, he saved you. He brought you forth by his word but have you let the word of truth sink in even today? And likewise, the phrase also reminds us of the great privilege and awesome responsibility given to those who teach the word of God. James 3.1, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Why do we not have a comedy routine? Why do we not have a, you know, a, the power team come and show us how strong they are? And those have their place, I suppose, to a degree. But friends, this is what we have, the word of God. And may our church always preach the word of God. Many of you have grown up in this area. Many of you know, even 20, 25 years ago, many churches, even with the name Baptist in them, did not preach the word of God here. What a revival, what a, what a, what a revitalization that has happened as young men, old men, churches have stepped up and said, you know what? I don't want that junk. I want the word. Give me the word. Are you hungry for what God is doing? The last thing he tells us, though, as we close, is that not only is the goodness of God shown in that he called you to salvation, it's all his work, you responded by faith, by the word of truth, but finally, 
he tells you that we should be, verse 18, quote, the kind of first fruits of his creation. When the harvest would come, the people of God were to give first fruits or their first and best to God. It was consecrated or set apart to God to acknowledge that God was the source of the harvest and to express confidence in his future provision. Proverbs 3, 9 and 10, it says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Look, you cannot outbeat, you cannot outdo giving to God ever. And the proof of your confidence in the beneficiary acts of God to you is that you give God your first fruits. A lot of people always ask, should I, should I give back uh, the gross or the what? Look, you, you decide whatever number it is in your head that God's told you to give and you give that. We don't, there's no requirement for 10% in the New Testament. That's a good baseline perhaps. But friends, you decide, but you can't outgive God. God's redemption of rebellious sinners is both affirms what he's done through Jesus and what he will redeem and do in all creation. That God has said, I have saved these people. My goodness is shown. And James uses that to show that the greatest good that he has given us is the fact that we are his by faith alone in Christ alone. Romans 8.19 says, For creation waits with eager longing for the revelation of the sons of God. And this is a reference to the first fruits emphasized here in this verse. It's not about us. It's about God. Look, God sent Christ to save sinners, but ultimately God's sending Christ to die is about his glory. He gets the praise. He gets the honor. He gets the credit. He gets the kudos. He gets the pats on the back because he's the one that did it. But aren't you grateful God didn't just do it to pat himself on the back, so to speak? He did it to save you and save me. That's how his goodness is shown because he's that kind of God. As we close, I've written a couple old hymns and we're, we're a mixed congregation church. We have old hymns and new songs. But these are just make sense today. I'll close with this hymn. That great down at the cross, down at the cross where my savior died, down where, uh, down where from cleansing from sin I cried. There to my heart was the blood applied. I think this last verse hits verse 18. Glory to his name. Christian, God is good all the time, whether he gives or he takes away. He's good in how his goodness is secured for you. Don't be deceived. His goodness is always, always, always going to be shown. His goodness is going to be shown in what happens in in your life and what happens in, in everything that befalls you. His goodness is going to be stressed in that he is a good God, he's a sovereign God, and he is in control, and he never changes. What else do you have to hold on to? Non-Christian, I mean this with all respect, but I pity if you are saying, I've got this, I'm okay during this pandemic. Without God, you have nothing. And I mean that respectfully, but you need to seek after this God who gave his life for you. Let's pray together, and we'll close out today. Father, as we come before you in prayer, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, that we who were once far off have now been brought near by the blood, the perfect sinless blood of your son, our savior, Jesus Christ. Father, as we go through these times, and I thank you for James that he reminds us not to be deceived, even as this church or these scattered believers he wrote to were undergoing hard times, he reminds them not to be deceived that you've got this. And you've always had this from eternity past. 
The greatest demonstration of that is our salvation. But how much more? as you just provide for us day by day. Thank you, Lord. We give you our church at Tower View. We pray that you would secure it, Lord, for your glory. Father, thank you for all that you've done. Use our church in these times and onward to bring many people to Christ, not to make a paper, not to get top 10 in the association, but to be folks on mission for you to see the advancement of your kingdom. Father, for all those struggling today to see your goodness, remind them of what you have done in your son. We pray these things today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, guys, and God bless.